0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Goals Do Come True with me, Doug Bennett. This is our 100th episode. I've got a special guest that I can't wait to introduce to you, but also behind the scenes, we're working on a special mini compilation episode for next week, and I can't wait to share that with you too. So let's get on with the show.
1: It's not some future state that's gonna make you happy. It's how you live your life today. And there's a Richard Bandler quote in there, I think, where he says, you know, if you're not happy with what you got now, you're not gonna be happy with more of it.
0: everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Goals Do Come True. This is a special episode. This is the 100th episode of Goals Do Come True, and I have with me a special guest, John Williams. Now, he runs the Ideas Lab, and I saw him post on LinkedIn, and the post was quite insightful, and it was on somebody else's post, And I thought, ooh, I'm going to reach out to this guy. And then I saw his book. That excited me. The name of his book is Fuck Work Let's Play. John is the author of the book. He's helped thousands of people create a business that they love over the last 15 years. So I thought, do you know what? I love what I do. So I'm not really working. And I thought we needed to get this message out to people that, you know, find out what it is that you love to do. It moves you, it puts you in flow, and then, you know, you never have to work another day in your life. I got really excited about that because that's where I'm heading. I've read his book recently. I'm going to quote directly from it just to demonstrate that I have got some of the stuff in my head. There's going to be some amazing changes. He's holding the book up for everybody that's listening. And we'll get this out on video at some stage. So there's going to be some expletives because we can't go F dot dot K all Mm. the way through. So it is just that it's going to be fuck Mm. work. Let's play John over to you. Fill in. Tell us a little bit about the ideas lab. Tell us a bit about your background how goals fit into your life. If you can weave that in somehow or another over to you, John, thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah. Thanks Doug. Well, I got this idea many years ago in the nineties when I was a software developer and I was doing these, I was reading these books about careers and stuff, trying to work out what I really wanted to do. And I was kind of blocked because I couldn't think what it would be. And then I had this flash of insight, which is that I didn't want to work didn't mean I didn't want to do any, anything at all. I didn't want to have a job. I just wanted to get paid for being me as much as possible and just do whatever I like doing and get paid. I've been on that path ever since. So now I reckon I'm pretty close to that. All day I'm just helping other people. I'm co-creating cool stuff with people. That's the thing that I would be doing. You know, if I won my lottery and had hundred million quid and never need to work again. I wouldn't stop absorbing and sharing new ideas and helping people make their ideas happen. You know, if you get me at the cafe and you tell me you've got an idea for a book or a product or a business or brand, you know, it's fun for me to think how you can make it even more amazing, how you can monetize it, how you can make it go viral even, which I've done quite often with my stuff and client stuff. Yeah. So that's fun. So now I get paid for doing that. Now, I mean, Being practical, I have to do lots of marketing stuff in order to keep myself visible. And sometimes, you know, if I did win the lottery, I'd probably do less of some things. I'd probably do less work because I'm a bit lazy, really. But essentially, I'd be doing the same things. I might augment a few things that don't pay. Like, I like playing drums. I've I've got electronic drums upstairs. I like doing that. I'm not going to try to monetize that at any point. So maybe I'll, I'll spend a bit more time learning drums rather than spending most of my time on the current business. But other than that, yeah, the core of it is the same. And I think that's what people need to do. You know, the goal should be, particularly if you're going to create your own business, which is what I help people do, is to create a business that feels like it suits you, fits you like a glove, that this is like the best possible match, and not just for the core work, because in any business you have to spend a lot of time marketing. Often you have to spend more time marketing when you do doing the thing. You know, even if you're like the person doing a thing and you like doing a thing, you have to do, you know, like if you're a so if you're providing a service or something, you have to do a lot of marketing. So you need to find a way of marketing that you enjoy. So for instance, you know, I like doing podcasts. I don't have to prepare for them. I like doing Facebook Lives. I like posting silly things on Facebook and LinkedIn. You know, my sense of humor comes out on social media. Most people are trying to be terribly profound and occasionally I think I'm hopefully... Terribly profound, but also quite silly because I think life is just kind of quite silly generally. And so my method of marketing is a good fit as well. My marketing, as much as possible, feels like play.
0: I'm gelling with so much of of that sort of stuff. Life is too short after all. Mm. And we only get one shot at it as well. Yeah. You know, so it should be fun along the way. Now, one of the things that i picked up in your book, and I'm going to read this quote from the book because obviously I've got goals do come true and you touched on it just a second there, but I am going to read this. There are a number of problems with this incessant goal setting. It places a focus on the future and suggests relentless action and compromise in the present to get there. When you achieve that goal, you allow yourself a brief period of rejoicing and then set a new one. I can feel the existential desolation just writing that. It is all very mesomorphic. (laughs) And by that, I mean action-focused. What about how you want to be or feel from moment to moment? There's no goal you can tick off for that. So, Aside from picking up some amazing words, existential, desolation, and mesomorphic, Uh, that's a direct challenge to my last two years of goal setting, and I loved it because that's what we need to do. We need to challenge this stuff. Go for it. Challenge it. Yeah. I think I said
1: somewhere, if setting goals works for you, then do it. And that sounds a bit offhand. But I mean, generally, I mean, whatever works for you, do it. If you know, because often what we do is we come across things that work for our particular personality. We notice it once and then we never do it again. I mean, unbelievably, how often I do that and other people do that. I think some broad brushstrokes of goals are probably worth it. So a goal of like, I want to reach a certain turnover, but done with the awareness that it's a fun adventure. It's the feeling you want to get out of it. So I'd like to, I'm not making seven figures. Yeah, I make six figures. I'd love to make, you know, a million a year. And it's very doable in my kind of line of work. And I think that would be an interesting adventure to get to. And I think that would be a nice, you know, even if I kind of quit at that point, it would be like, no, but no, you know, I'd have to do something. But even if I felt like I'd do something else afterwards, felt like, okay, I've ticked that box. That's I I've, I've finally kind of proved that, I'm capable of being a, you know, semi-decent entrepreneur, having been born with zero entrepreneurial skills whatsoever, but I'm only going to do that if it actually feels like fun, it's happy along the way. If I have to sacrifice everything else and run my health into the ground, I won't do it. And if it just feels like a miserable trudge, I'm not going to do it. I'll do it because I think it would be an interesting experience. So I'm advocating for making sure that you're creating, you know, the present tense is, is, is enjoyable. I'm a big fan of Alex Hormozzi and his wife, Layla. They're both really impressive entrepreneurs. They've made an absolute phenomenal amount of money. They work incessantly hard. And, you know, Layla Hormozzi was saying on Instagram or TikTok or something, you know, I get up at 4 a.m. and then I can knock out 12 hours of work. And I go like, that's not my idea of fun. And they've made hundreds of millions and they're very interesting. They're great entrepreneurs to follow. they got some, they're brilliant at marketing. But I just thought like that would not be, that's like, why? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> why would you? <laughs> but that, but I'm a different kind of person, right? So they have a different level of energy and so on. So maybe for them, that's exciting. That's too much for me. And I don't want to sacrifice everything for a goal. That's for sure.
0: No, I'm totally, totally with you on that. And I love a little bit lazy. Because I, yeah. feel, I feel like that too. It's like, mm. you know, the drive to make a million in a year is not there. I was fortunate I sold my business a, you know, a couple of years ago and, and, and made a reasonable chunk. And it's given me the opportunity to write a couple of books and do the podcast mm. and, and fund it. You know, I've funded both of those. I'm never gonna make the money back on the books, I'm sure. Not from the book sales itself, but it's, you know, what yeah. goes around it. It's like you're gonna find, you know, fuck work, let's play is not going to make you the money, but it's the kudos yeah. around it and, and the opportunities that you know that
1: Yeah, it's very happen. rare for, for books in themselves to be a significant money earner. In fact, even even when they are a significant money earner. Because If you're trade publishing, because if you trade publish, people might not know that you get paid about 75p per book. So I don't know if yours is trade or or self-published. But if you self-publish, you've also got to do an awful lot of marketing work. But if you have a deal like I have with Pearson or Vermillion for my second book, then you, you'd get paid 75p a book. So you'd have to sell a huge, you know, hundreds of thousands, which is quite rare for nonfiction books. And to sell a million, which would make you rich, you know by most people's standards that's freakishly rare for nonfiction. it's almost it's a little bit of a crapshoot not completely but there's certainly things you can do to help and even if you did make a million out of the book you would make 10 million out of all the things that the book came brought to you or 100 million so it's always in that kind of proportion for anyone who's kind of thinking about books i don't want to put them off i just want them to understand how it really works
0: and be uh, realistic but, about it. Yeah, and yeah for me,
1: uh, writing, writing books feels like one of the most meaningful things I can do. I'm working on a fourth book, which I, I don't have a deal yet for, but I'm talking to Pearson about it. And hopefully I can get them to sign off on this idea imminently. I'll be off and writing, which is something I really love to do.
0: So that's one of the next things. I tend to ask my guests about their big, hairy, audacious goals. So mm. have you got any?
1: Uh, Not a big goal setter, as you've heard. But I mean, I
0: guess (laughs) I would like to get to a million turnover
1: without sacrificing my health and and my life. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's enough to be getting on with. Oh, and I'd Uh like to, when the book comes out, actually, there's a good phrase from Sam Altman who ran, I think he's actually left, but he was running Y Combinator, the coolest, most impressive startup incubator in the world. They started... Dropbox and you know, the incubator Dropbox and Airbnb and people like that. And Sam Altman said, I want my next thing to make my current project look like a footnote. And I like that kind of idea, you know, talk about big, hairy, audacious goals or BHAGs. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already ran at a really young age, one of the most successful incubators in the world. And then he's involved with OpenAI AI. The organization that's producing DALI and stuff like that, amazing kind of machine learning tools that are are going to change the world in the next couple of years, I think. And so, you know, OpenAI, for instance, is one of his projects, could make everything he did at Y Combinator look like he did what before? So nothing will make me happier than people going like, when this new book comes out, saying, why? This guy came out of nowhere. You know, even though I've got books that have been translated in 10 languages relatively speaking, I would love the next one to be even bigger. So, yeah, maybe that's two big, hairy audacious goals.
0: That's good, but at least you've got them. Do you write them down? Are they written down or are they? They are. They're on a board up in my bedroom. I see when I wake up every morning, they're in a big whiteboard. There we go, people. It's Mm -hmm. It's the visionary stuff.
1: And also write down on there, some of the things that I'm trying to remember. Cause you know, I have that idea of like, I go, oh yeah, I should really do that. That really works when I do that. But rather than just kind of having that insight and then carrying on, I write it on the board. One of the things I wrote on the board recently was do the bleeding obvious thing, which is that, you know, as entrepreneurs are often looking at, uh, looking for the most clever way of doing something. I know this from my clients they're always looking for some magic solution. And they go, well, have you done all the things you know you're supposed to be bloody doing by like building an email list and posting every day on one social media channel and so on? And they go, no. They go, well, do that first yeah, because it works. Yeah, So I kind of wrote that down to remind myself to do some of those and obvious things that I know I should be doing.
0: Yeah, and that's good. That's mm. good. You know, just got to think simple on these things sometimes Yeah, in that respect. So goals and goal setting. Hmm. Right. I chose the wrong person for this really. You did, I? yeah. <laughs> but, but 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 that's good. So what we, you know. That's good because then we've got to think on our feet. I'm going to be episode 99 now, aren't I? Uh 99A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 99's already gone out. <laughs> The entrepreneurial world. And I think this is something for people that are new to it or thinking about doing it. This is something, another quote from your, your book. I, I read things on Kindle and it's very useful. You can highlight something and send it to yourself, which is really, yeah. really seriously cool. So here we go. When you're starting out on your business or thinking about your business, fasten your seatbelt because you're going on a roller coaster ride. Once you set off on this journey, it is far from smooth running. When you finally dare to admit what you really want and go after it, you will be giving up the constant flat line of mild discomfort so many people spend their lives in. You will be living, not just existing. You will have fantastic highs as you achieve something you didn't even think possible. And you'll also have real lows when you get a big setback. And I think that perfectly described the entrepreneurial journey. Can you yeah. add anything onto that one there?
1: Yeah, I think knowing that is really helpful. When I wrote that, you know, flat line of mild discontent, my editor said, you can't say that. So, said, well, you're telling me people don't live like that. People are in a job but they don't like and they stick it for years. And she kept it in, in the end, the editor at Pearson. And I do think I did. I think I lived in that. Sort of flat line and mild discontent. But it's easy, particularly those I think a lot of entrepreneurs are prone to depression and anxiety. I am and have experienced quite a lot of it in the past, not so much now. Just listen to Amy Porterfield, who's a marketer. She says she still deals with it. And it is, I mean, the stats show that it's a lot higher for entrepreneurs. Mental health issues in general are a lot more frequent for entrepreneurs. And I think if you ever had depression, I think one of the traps is that you think, well, when I've got, there'll be a time when everything's fine. There'll be some sort of, you know, people used to talk about homeostasis. And there's this point you'd get to where everything would be solved and it would somehow stay like that. But human beings never really, they're only ever momentarily in homeostasis. as in everything's, everything's the right temperature and you feel good and you've got the right chemicals in your body and you know neurochemicals and whatever and and then it you know you stick someone on tropical island drinking cocktails it's absolutely fantastic with the first three days and then on day four they're getting bored i mean depends on your personality but you know i i've been bored by about 1 p.m on the the first day you know so i'd start reading and and whatever else it depends on your makeup So yeah, it's quite a surprise then. uh, What a lot of people do is they actually, if they do set that kind of relentless goal thing of I'm going to make a million and then they work 12 hours a day and they make a million and then they get there and go, well, that's funny. It hasn't made me happy. And that can really cause a crisis for people. I think it was my therapist who said, it's not some future, this is a line I ripped off and stuck in the book. It's not some future state that's going to make you happy. It's how you live your life today. And there's a Richard Bandler quote in there, I think, where he says, you know, if you're not happy with what you've got now, you're not going to be happy with more of it. So, you're not happy with the money or what, I mean, okay, some people have obviously some very genuine problems right now, but assuming you're kind of getting by okay financially and you're still miserable, suddenly you're having, you know, massive excess wealth. It's not really going to make you happy. It will do for you if you're struggling for money all the time and it's just terrifying you and so on but otherwise it won't do. Now it does, there is actually, there's a, there's a bit in there I'd love to retract because I've used that study people have talked about. that says the money doesn't make you happy above $75,000 per year mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in actual fact, that's not true. People do, it flattens off a bit. People do get happier significantly as their income goes up to about 75K, but it does continue to go up at a lesser level beyond that, and particularly a measure that's not happiness, but life satisfaction goes up. And I know as I've made more money, if you know yourself, you can actually get happier as a result of the money. If you don't know yourself and you think just having a Lamborghini is going to make you happy, you're queuing yourself up for a breakdown, I think. Yeah. Because you'll get, you'll be sitting in a Lamborghini crying, going like, why am I still not happy? Whereas if you are absolutely obsessed with supercars, And you go to the racing and you test driven every supercar and you love driving cars fast, then yeah, my ash should make you happy. So it depends who you are. If you use your money to, to give yourself more of what you know makes you happy. Like I live by the canal here and I love being next to the water and I love light as well. I find winter depressing. And so this is all flawed. It's a, loft apartment. It's got like floor to ceiling windows, crazy amounts of light, even in the winter. And that definitely makes me happy. Not cheap, but the money I spend on this flat definitely makes me happy. But I think that's an important thing. It's an important thing to, when you're talking about goals, it's worth thinking about money. And, you know, certainly going from 1 million to 10 million is not going to make you, just the number is not going to make you any happier. Mm. It really isn't. And if there's something you really want that costs 5 million quid, then maybe. Like if you want a house that's for your whole family and you want to live in an expensive area and and so on, maybe you will. You can finally move to, you know, some place overlooking Central Park and be right in the center of the action in New York or wherever it is you're excited about being. It might do. but if you just having the money isn't going to do it.
0: That's very, very insightful in that respect. I didn't, you know... I'm happy. I love recording these podcasts. I meet amazingly interesting people with, you know, lots of different takes on things and they've all got a lesson to give mm. to the people listening and, you know, slightly different takes on it because I think you touched on the mental health side of things. I think having a, a degree of direction helps towards easing the mental health it's not the solution Mm. but i think if you're stuck in the rut yeah you're likely to be more depressed and more disappointed with life but if you've got something to go for Mm. then i think you can sort of ease ease away from the serious mental health Issues, but it mm. is interesting that you say you know that, that, that you've suffered from trying times. And mm-hmm. I know, I I know I have, and you know I still have periods where it's like, well, you know, it could be better. And is everything okay? And what it you know? And I've got money in the bank, and I'm doing mm-hmm. things that I enjoy, and I've got income coming in, and, and it's like it should be great. But just yeah. every now and again, it's like you know, it's mm-hmm. not that that stuff there but it's interesting also that you know the the figure the seventy five thousand dollars which is what mm. probably 50 60k a year yeah but you're not going to stick with 60k a year right you? because you've already said <laughs> yes so,
1: no and and so i'm not one of these people who goes like money won't make happy there's there's a subtlety right there's a complexity to it so i would like like when i i used to live in north london in my own flat i rent this place now i rent out the flat in north london and i live here and i was in the suburbs and and then i you know i had quite a bit more depression when i was there i mean i moved to somewhere that's much more central it's by the canal i love cycling i can cycle to soho i like being in the very center of things unfortunately being in the very center of things in a major city is expensive now if i loved Being in the wilderness, and that's what excited me. And I've got friends who are like that. I've got a friend who's nothing's more exciting to him than a wet Wednesday afternoon in Wales. And it's like, you know, you don't need to earn a lot of money. That is not for me. And I love cities and I love ideas. And unfortunately, that is expensive. I love technology as well. So my kind of passions and the things that feed me and feel most exciting to me are ones that are relatively expensive. So I need to make money. Yeah. You know, I heard another entrepreneur, I think it was Helen Fritchard say, some of her tastes are expensive. Not because she, you know, she likes fine clothes or anything like that, but because some of the things she likes doing are not cheap. She likes having a big house, for instance. She doesn't like being crapped yeah. or something like that. And so, yeah, it's all about knowing yourself and spending your money on the things that actually matter. Okay.
0: So how do we help more
1: people do this? So I specialise in helping people whose product is the contents of their brain. So they're consultants, coaches, therapists, freelancers. I've been all of those things, sort of. And uh, you know, I was I was consultant to the BBC and other people independently, but big broadcasters on on a billion pound project. One of them actually. And I've also been a freelance writer. I've contracted on a day rate, and obviously I run a business where I, I now do business coaching. So that's why I specialize in helping people like that. And people run online courses or that kind of stuff rather than, although I know the startup well, because I used to be in that, I don't really deal with that. And if you're trying to productize you and create a business around your personal brand, then there's only so many things you need to do at the beginning. I think people get really distracted by the wrong things. So that's what I'm trying to write about in the book. In fact, work, let's play. There's a free guide you can get on my website. It's called like the seven steps to making more, doing the work you love. And like the first one is to specialize and actually be clear who you're helping or be really specific about what you do for them, particularly if you're just starting out. And then the second one is to find a real need people have and particularly find a problem that you can solve. And I know everyone's heard this. No one's freaking doing it. I tell you, it's really hard for you. I just did, ran this workshop last night. It's a free workshop on the same topic of this seven steps to making more. And I say to people, state your problem that you solve in the following format. I help people who are fed up, worried about, concerned about situation. So I'm fed up with losing weight and then putting all back on again and some, and then hating myself for it. Or I'm worried about... The fact that I'm going to be broke in my retirement because my finances aren't sorted out. So you, it's got to be, they've got to have an, a negative emotion about their situation if you're going to sell something to somebody, if you're going to help them. And I say, like, put it in this format. And people literally go, I help people who want to lose weight. And it's, and it's like, did you read what I just said? <laughs> and it's so difficult for us as humans. I don't want to be mean because we all do this. It's so difficult for us as humans to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And that's actually what marketing is about. Marketing is just the ability, as my brother once said, he's worked in marketing all his life, just put yourself in the other person's shoes. And we're terrible at it. If we were good at it, all our relationships would be harmonious. So obviously we're not very good at it. Because we just think anyone who thinks differently to us is crazy. (laughs) So you have to kind of describe it from their point of view rather than your point of view. And rather than going, I'm an NLP person, or I use this kind of strategy, or I use Six Sigma methodology, or I whatever it is, people don't care about that. If you talk about, if you help organizations, for instance, you have to talk in terms of what's the problem the person who's going to pay you, what's the problem they see? The person who writes the check is the person you've got to speak to. You're head of HR, head of learning and development, and you're really worried that one of your most important leaders in the organization is going off the rails and is pissing off his or her team members. And you need to do something about it before a really key member of staff leaves, because then that'll be a whole kind of, you know, nightmare for you to replace them. And there'll be massive loss of productivity and a high cost, and you'll be in trouble. So that's like, okay, that's a problem. And you can sell to that problem. People in companies want to be happier. If you can sell what people want, even if sometimes they're wrong, or if they want the wrong thing, what they really need is over What they need is actually something else, but they think they, they need mm-hmm. this. If you can sell a solution to that, to what they think they need, and then deliver what they actually need, then you can do the work you really care about, but you can actually make money out of it. And most people are, as I say, terrible. So when they write copy, they write copy, you know, for their website or a marketing email or something. They talk about themselves, and they talk about, how they work and the thing that they're
0: fascinated by.
1: But that's not of interest to your target yeah,
0: market. No, no, nobody gives a shit about that really. Yeah. Really. And so and, like what, you didn't- thats in it for me, isn't it? It's what's in it for me all the
1: time. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. so every, somebody described it as everyone's tuning into WII FM, which is what's in it for me. <laughs> and it's, I think I'm particularly good at, I mean, lots of people have said this, but I think I'm quite good at helping people to do this. And I'm quite empathic in some ways. And so I kind of train other people how to be. So I call it empathy marketing, because if you can do that, then you, you can't fail but win. I mean, if you if you don't know what your target market's problem is, or you can't decide, think of the kind of people you'd like to work with, and go and invite a hundred people of them to have coffee with you, and find out what they're struggling with. Don't ask them about your business idea. To ask them what they're struggling with, what they're worried about, what they'd love to see solved inside their organization or inside their life or inside their business if they're an entrepreneur, you know, depending on your market. And you, you have like even 10 conversations like that where you're not asking, What do you think about my business idea? Like you're mm-hmm. banned from asking that. You say, You're just asking about them, what's on their mind and what they're worried about, what they're struggling to solve. You'll have a business that works. Because then you just go, Oh, God. So if I could. If there's, you know, seven out of 10 people all said they were struggling with this, if I could just solve that, then there's no doubt they'd be able to pay me. They'd be willing to pay. You know, for anyone who's not started their business yet, or even someone who has and it feels like it's not quite biting yet, you know, they post things on social media and nobody cares and they put out offers and people just go, you know, nothing. Then that's the key. And then the other part of my work is helping people stand out and be a bit more... Be a bit more authentic, make a stronger statement. Don't be afraid to super niche. So once you are successfully out there getting clients, helping people, getting paid, but you're still getting beaten down on price, you're still struggling to really stand out, then what you need to do is work on your brand and your niche, show more personality in your marketing, your social media, and that's what starts to take you to the next level. Most people... Particularly at the beginning of uh, starting a business, they take everything that makes them different and interesting and represents their personality, and they strip it out of their marketing, and then they post this really generic, boring stuff on social media. It sounds like everybody else, and they wonder why they're not getting traction. And even if you give really, really good advice on social media, unless you show your personality, no one will actually buy from you because if you're selling services. They need to know who you are as a person, particularly if they're going to work with you one-to-one or in an intimate group or something or bring you into their company. They need to know what you're like as a person. And they may or may not like you, you can't control that. But you need to actually
0: show who you are. That's the nub of it, isn't it? If you show, again, if you show who you are and you're living your authentic life and you're not putting on a mask or... Putting on a cape to make yourself look different, mm. or you know, just being you. Yeah. What's not to love about that? I mean, quite apart from the fact that it's the easiest thing in the whole wide world to be. Yeah. If you're yourself. Yeah. I
1: think like, people are scared to do it because they're scared because the corporate world's taught us to do the opposite. School and the corporate school mostly rewards fitting in, and the corporate environment definitely rewards fitting in. Like having a strong personality, or or just just you know being yourself, is not really rewarded in the corporate world. So everyone's fitting themselves into the corporate environment. Uh, ironically, a, a friend of mine who's a headhunter who's also a successful author, John Perkins. He told me that he works with people at like the C-suite level in finance and stuff. And as they rise up the ranks, they hide their personality. But the problem is when they go from director to partner. They actually have to turn everything around and do everything I'm talking about, which is like start to have some personality, because those are the people who win once you're at the partnership level. And he said, you know, the most effective person he ever saw in the recruitment world was somebody who was a really strong personality and was kind of, you know, disliked by quite a few people. I'm not advocating, you don't have to be really contentious. You just have to show a bit more of who you are and stop hiding. And some people aren't going to like you. You know, I'm, I swear a bit, and I make jokes, and I think I think everything's up for discussion. Some people don't like that, and I'm not trying to be deliberately inflammatory and stoke people. Occasionally, I feel strongly about something, and I'll post about it, and it does get a, a lot of engagement. So, this morning, I posted, for instance, I am an unapologetic Elon fanboy, Elon Musk fanboy. Like I studied physics at, at college. And I love science and I think Elon Musk is a powerful force for good in the world. And lots of people really hate him. And I understand he's, he can be a bit of a jerk sometimes, but it's like so obvious, but he is, a, he's, you know, net positive person in yes. the world. To not see that is really quite bizarre to me. And I think he's ideologically driven and, or, or possibly with jealousy and a number of other things. And, and so I posted that. And I know some people will, somebody has argued with me already this morning, only posted it half an hour ago. And I'm okay with that. I'm not deliberately trying to annoy people, but I, this is what I really, God, I'm so passionate about this. Like he's a guy. And what I did was I, it was framed around the fact that he's just got this new thing because he's developing Starship, which is his vehicle to take us to Mars. Right. And he's running it initially for other things because he's not ready for that yet. But he's, what he's done is he's designed, well, him and his team, see not just him, have designed a stand that picks up this whacking great rocket which is enormously heavy, picks it up and moves it onto the launch pad, and he just took a picture and tweeted it and said something funny. So he called it Mechzilla. So he says here's Mechzilla loading Starship onto the landing pad, and he just go like, "This is like Thunderbirds or James yeah. Bond stuff." Yeah. 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 And and they go like, "How can you not be impressed by that? Even if you hate him in his politics, which I don't personally, I think he's fairly centrist, really." Mm-hmm. Then. But, but even if you did like, like can you not separate that from the fact that oh my god this is incredible and he's transformed the entire auto industry he's moved the entire auto industry to electric vehicles, which is definitely going to be a win long term particularly when we've got renewable energy to recharge them with be willing to have an opinion you don't have to wade into the most contentious topics in the world right now you don't have to post your politics but people want to know you've got a bit of personality and you've got some values and and maybe if their values align with yours, they're going to feel much more drawn towards you and other people will be more pushed away, but they probably wouldn't have liked you anyway.
0: That's it. No, you're right. I'm, I'm also a Elon fan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like being alive, you know, at the moment, like
1: Isambard Kingdom Brunel was around in a building thing or James Watts or, or whatever. And, and how you could be, how you could not see that is just unbelievable.
0: Well, I'm I'm from home. You know, I had two Meg download speeds and 0.79 upload speeds yeah. through my broadband. Yeah. I've got Starlink in there. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, it was a small fortune, you know, mm. and it's still monthly of a small fortune. Yeah. But download speeds of 150 200 220 right uploads of 15 20 30 it's like it's a game changer yeah you know i can see i can see netflix clearly yeah my wife can see netflix clearly how much value is there yeah. in that i mean you, 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 and that's just that's a little
1: side project of his <laughs> yes indeed. you know the, you know that the tunnel building we can have a bit of a fanboy moment. The, the The tunnel building thing, which hilariously called the Boring Company. I mean, how can you not like a guy who calls it the Boring Company? It's worth a billion dollars. So it's like that. That was a tiny little side project, the Boring Company. That's already worth a billion. And some bloke commented under my post and said, "He's just a money man," or at at a stretch, a visionary. And I went like, "Okay, even if that's true, which I don't think is true at all, because if he's you know read his biography and other stuff." he's got a very very good understanding of what he's doing and he's driving a lot of stuff forward and he can only do that if he actually understands the physics that's going on which he does and yeah he's hired extremely intelligent people who are doing these amazing things and he credits them a, a lot but you know i i say it's quite a strange take to say well he's just a visionary who transformed the auto industry and the solar power industry and and space travel you know that's all he is like yeah. And, and what are you found this, Yeah, If yeah. <laughs> that was all he was capable of. that would be pretty impressive. Yeah. But he's, uh, yeah, he's got a lot. I mean, he studied, you know, he was going to do a PhD in battery technology before he, I think he got into, I think maybe when he went and did PayPal. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's a strange moment in time when people have turned a little bit against entrepreneurship. And I think that's, a, you know, the political will or the- the nation is a little bit going off entrepreneurs. And I think that's a shame. I think there is a positive version of entrepreneurship and that can still be socially and environmentally aware. Yes, You don't have to be one of those rabid Silicon Valley libertarians, which I am very much not. So
0: maybe I'll get the libertarians angry. Well, well, you know, you've got to make somebody angry. <laughs> yeah. Because if you don't, You haven't got an opinion. It's blandness personified. And none of us want that. None of us want that. So I'm going to ask for a John Williams nugget. All right. So something that the whole world needs to know. Now, you know, if you can throw some goal setting in there, that would be awesome. But if it's a nugget that the world needs to know, but it's not goals orientated, we'll, we'll accept that. But okay, the world needs to know.
1: I will give a nugget from this new book I'm working on. And unfortunately, it's not very succinct because I'm still working on the book. But the premise is those of us who have a creative or entrepreneurial drive are all a bit mad. We do have a much higher incidence of depression, anxiety. We're often quite quirky. We're too intense. Some of us are on the autism spectrum. Some of us have got dyslexia. Some of us have got ADD or something like that. Some of us haven't got any of those things necessarily, but we're odd by mainstream standards. We don't quite fit in on LinkedIn, for instance. And I think it's time we embraced that and actually said, your weirdness is actually your asset. So, what's different about you is likely your greatest competitive advantage. If so you build a business around something that uses the extreme parts of your personality in a positive way, like I am an ideas person, right? So, I created this business, the Ideas Lab, and I help people make ideas happen. I'm in heaven because I just play with ideas all day. Whatever that is for you, whatever your thing, but people just go, well, "That's a bit weird. Why don't you give it a rest on that sort of topic? You're getting boring now, or you know." Can't you just be more normal? Whatever the thing is with people going on like that, make that your goal, your goal, build your goal around that thing. And then be willing to show more of yourself, be willing to be, you know, Elon has divided the world, but he's created this massive following apart from some hatred because he's funny and quirky and doesn't apologize for himself and has said, you know, he's, got Asperger's, and he's not ashamed of that, and he's not embarrassed about it. And he can be gloriously mad and do incredible things. Now, even if you dislike Elon, you know, you be opposite, maybe the opposite end of the political spectrum, you take Greta Thunberg, which is actually also on the autism spectrum, I think. And she's, you know, quite intense and obviously opinionated. But, you know, I think you can also respect that she's built a movement around her personality too. So I think we can all do that. And whatever the subject is you're obsessed with or whatever the thing is that you're better than anybody else at, use that, build your goals around that. And then you've got a competitive advantage to go up against everybody else.
0: That was perfect. And it's you good. used the word goals in there. It's good. Yeah. I Thank you on. very much for that. <laughs> I appreciate Yeah. John, it's been a pleasure. Finding somebody else that likes Elon Musk, you know, I mean, there are a few of us out there. I do dread some of his tweets because I've got a bit of money in Tesla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, so that's a bit of a roller coaster every now and again. <laughs> hmm. I'm a member of a, uh, an organization called the Million Dollar Roundtable, which is the Premier Association of Financial Professionals. And hmm. there was a time uh, a little while back where I was told before we were going into a meeting. That I needed to be less Doug. <laughs> right. Just because. Mm. <laughs> because these people are quite important, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've decided, no, I'm going to be more Doug. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be more Doug. So that, that's where I'm going with it. So I'm going to be out there and sharing stuff. It'll kill my wife. And, you know, I might have to temper it down if she's there. But if I'm, if I'm on my own. Well, I think, you know, if we
1: remember, like, if you, you need to be careful wading into contentious topics these days because you can, you, you can take an incredible amount of heat. But if you feel like you are, if there's a vision that you have for the world, which is a positive vision, and along the way it does mean stepping on some taboos, I think if you're framing it like that, that's a more meaningful way of doing it. So I don't want to wade into topics I have, but are very contentious right now. But aren't relevant to my business. Cause I think no. it's a distraction unless I'm trying to be Mr. I'm trying to create some podcasts all about the culture wars or something like that, but I'm not. So I only want to wade into topics and be controversial as much as is necessary for, for what I'm talking about. But that does include things like if we're going to, Britain, let's make Britain more entrepreneurial. That's one of my missions, you know, I've played some tiny part of that with my books and so on courses, let's make Britain more entrepreneurial. And part of that means we need to be able to say people like Elon are really damn impressive because if we can't look up to someone who's doing so much good in the world, just cause he sends some stupid tweets and he's a bit of a troll sometimes, it's like, what are we doing? So it's so in that sense, it is part of my mission and it is important, but I'm not going to get into things. I'm going oh, to share everything in my politics if I don't think it's relevant.
0: That's good. Yeah. Choose your battles.
1: Yeah. Choose your battles. Yeah. Because believe me, it's nasty out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so everybody on that note. If you're interested in the entrepreneurial world, the roller coaster that is the entrepreneurial world, it can be nasty out there. But that wasn't a very positive ending, was it? <laughs> no, no. But we're all needed. We're needed. Yeah. That's the point. And yeah. if you're passionate about something, that will see you through the lows of the roller coaster because the highs, they're immense. Yeah. They're absolutely immense. Mm. John, you got anything that you want to share? I mean, we're gonna make sure that there's a link to the Ideas Lab in mm. the show notes. Yeah. You're gonna rustle me up a lead magnet so that people can join your mailing list and you can mm. share your good stuff with them. And I would highly recommend the book. If you're if you're in a position where it's like life is a drudge for you mm. and you actually want to fuck work. Yeah. And start playing then have a good read of that book because it is it, it you know it's made a huge difference to me i mean i've only read it just recently but there's lots of little things that i've got going through my brain which i'm not about to share in the open world yet because it's yeah. going to affect a few people mm-hmm. and i need to have those conversations with them first so john mm. anything else you can add before we go yeah for those people who are interested yeah you can actually if you go to
1: fworkletsplay.com where it's just F-W-R-O-R-K, let's play.com. Then you can find out about the book and get a link to Amazon if you want to get it. It was Double H Smith, non-fiction book of the month, and Double Smith business book of the month, one year apart. That's the thing you can get. You can get the original version of it in about 10 different languages now, because it's, it's a new version of a book that came out 10 years ago. I post on Facebook every day. If you go to John community, it will redirect you to my Facebook group. I'm John Spencer Williams now on most social networks because I got sick of the dude who wrote Star Wars getting all my fame. So if you look up John Spencer Williams, you'll find me more easily on social networks. And if you go to theideaslab.org, you can download the, the that free guide to the seven steps thing I was talking about, seven steps to make you more doing work you love.
0: Excellent. We'll make sure that all of that stuff is in the show notes. John Spencer Williams. Yeah. Thank you very much for your yeah. time today. I'm so pleased. We met. I just commented on a post on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and you know, it's amazing how it's set up. And we're the hundredth episode. And I think, you know, that is a turning point for people. Yeah. A hundred episodes in, but look, you know, what we've got to do is just fuck work and let's play. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks, Doug. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Goals Do Come True. If you did, of course, please share it with your friends on social media. Give us a like, five-star reviews. Anything to help get the message of goals and goal setting out there into the world is greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to review and subscribe on Apple, Google or Spotify. I'd love to hear about your goals, you can share them with me at dougbennett.co.uk